Y'all doing all right? Did y'all have a good night so far? Cool, man, it's been wild. Uh, we had wings up in this thing, and y'all were jumping around going crazy. We playing swag surfing in church. I didn't grow up in a church like that. That's wild. Um, but man, I'm glad y'all are here. I'm excited for tonight. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Gerald. This is actually my first time at the living room. And so before I dive into what I want to talk about um, tonight, I just want to get a little bit of a feel for who's in the room. So where are my ladies at in the room right now, my ladies? Cool. I love that. It doesn't matter where you go. You can go anywhere in the world. If you say, where are my ladies at? Girls are like, hi, Slay, girl. I'm here. I got my nails done, my hair did. I'm in the, but he gonna know I'm here tonight, girl. I'm here. Okay. Right. Like y'all just ready to turn up. Where are my fellas at in the room, fellas? Yeah. That one dude stood up. I don't know why you did that, bruh. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I don't know what it is about dudes. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. If you say where my fellas at, y'all's voices go like three octaves lower. You're like, yeah, bruh. I'm here. Steroids, right? I don't know what you on. Um, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, I love wings. Um, I think real wings, wing eaters eat wings a certain way. So I just want to get a feel. Where are my drums people at in the room? People who eat the drums. Y'all fake, you ain't real. Where my flat people at in the room? Y'all know, exactly, exactly. I love that, I love that. That's amazing, that's amazing. Uh, I love sneakers. Uh, I did not wear my best pair of shoes today, but I love a good pair of sneakers. Uh, I only rock with a certain team, so I just need to know, Nike or Adidas, where my Nike people at? Nike. Where my Adidas people at? Yep, anyone who said Adidas, you're a hype beast. I just want you to know that. Because uh, you were not wearing Adidas six years ago, okay? NMDs came out and they got cool and now all of a sudden you team Adidas. We Nike all the way. Uh, I'm wild, y'all. I'm way off. I'm way off script. I'm excited um, to be here. I'm excited for, for this idea of a house party um, because there was a house party in my life that played a significant role. And, and so I, I'm a high school pastor up in um, Forsyth County, literally Narnia. Like you just keep going. Eventually you get there. Um, and so usually in moments like this, like I would have a sermon and I would preach and um, I try to preach the walls down if I can, but I've been meeting with my boy, Matt, which I don't know if, if you don't know Matt, Matt is like one of the greatest college pastors of all time. I freaking love that dude, man. He's amazing. Um, so great. And so, so Matt and I have been meeting and we've been talking um, and he was like, Hey man, like we're doing this house party thing and we want it to feel a little bit different. And it'd be really dope if you just came and shared your story because you spent some time in the city of Atlanta. You were born and raised here. Um, you have some connections to the AUC. Any AUC people in the room? One. One of y'all. Which, are you Clark Spellman? Which one? Oh, now, look, we'll talk later. Um, Georgia State. Georgia State people in the room. Yeah, so... So I have, connections, I have connections to both of those schools through my story. And so, I don't know what you just said. Um, but I have connections to both of those, those schools through my story. And so Matt was like, hey, would you just come and share your story tonight? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. So a little bit about me. My name is Gerald Fadiomi, which I think is a little bit unique that my name is Gerald. Um, not because of the name. That's a pretty normal name. Uh, but I think it's unique because of my parents. Um, my dad is from Nigeria. His name is... <laughs> was not expecting that. Um, my dad's from Nigeria. His name's Oluwafemi. My mom is from Liberia. Two of y'all. Um, and her name is Ekwa. Somehow Ekwa and Oluwafemi came together and had a kid by the name of Gerald, which it's like the whitest name for the blackest person to ever exist. I don't know how that happened, but it did. And so both of my parents are African. Um, but what's unique is that neither of my parents were ever married. 
And um, if I could just be vulnerable with y'all for a minute, like that's been hard for me because there's a part of my identity that I carry that, that I kind of walk through life feeling like I'm a little bit of a mistake because my parents were planning on me. And so I've had to wrestle with that and ask God to help me with that. But neither of my parents were, were married and I kind of had a rough upbringing. Um, my mom and I kind of lived together. I had a sister who's 10 years older than me. And so we were in the house together with my grandma. And when we were about five years old, we got evicted out of our house. And so one of my earliest childhood memories, like I don't know what it is for you, maybe it's like riding a bike or maybe it's just kicking it with your friends in the front yard. One of my earliest childhood memories was um, this late night and we were in this line outside of this building. I didn't really know where I was at, what was going on, um, but we're waiting in line and eventually we get towards the front of the line and the closer to the front we get, the more excited that I see my mom getting. So I don't know what's going on, but we get inside this building and we start looking around this massive room and there's just bunk beds all over the room. And at five years old, y'all, that was my first night spent in a homeless shelter. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like one of my earliest childhood memories. I remember leaving the shelter and we'd bounced around with family and friends and, and shelter to shelter. But I remember leaving that specific shelter and um, we went to our church the next day and we asked them if they could help. And so they put us up in this hotel room. And so we're staying in this hotel, and it's a weird thought for a little kid, but I remember thinking, like, yo, this is like the best sleep that I've had in a minute. And so I fall asleep, and I wake up the next morning to a knocking at our hotel door. My mom's like, yo, get under the bed, get under the bed. So I crawl under the bed. She opens the door, and the police come busting in, and they're tearing things apart. They're looking around, and I see two white hands reach down, and they reach under the bed, and they grab me out from under the bed, put me in the back of this cop car. And it's, it's crazy, I remember it so vividly because I was bawling my eyes out and at the same time as I was crying, I'm not gonna cry by Mary J. Blige was playing in the car. I know, the irony, right? And so here I am, <laughs> she's like, I'm not gonna cry, no, not, right? And so, um, so I'm in the car and what happened was that my church knew that the best way to take care of us, the best way to help us was to get me out of the situation because my mom loved me, but she just wasn't in a place where she could really take care of me. And so I'm in this car, I don't know where I'm going, I end up at this foster home and I'm there for a short period of time, not for too long, maybe a couple of months. And the next memory that I have is I'm sitting in a courtroom and my mom and dad walk out of the courtroom. It's the first time I'd seen my dad in a while and he goes, hey, you're gonna come live with me. I was like, all right, I mean, I don't understand why, but fine, so I get in the car with him and pack up all my stuff, live with him for a little while. He ends up getting married and so we moved to Michigan. And I'd never been to Michigan before. I'm born and raised in Atlanta. Like, I don't do the snow. I'm not about that life. So I get up there and I'm like, yo, what is this? What is this white stuff falling from the sky? I've heard Jeezy talk about snowmen, but this is not what I thought this was going to be. Um, and so I'm up in Michigan and, and it's, you know, I'm starting over. I'm trying to make friends. And so I'm there from first to third grade. And it's really difficult because my stepmom doesn't really like me and she has her own kid and so she shows favoritism to her and so me and my dad are kind of at it but by third grade I start making friends and I start getting comfortable and as soon as I start getting comfortable y'all I kid you not it was like out of nowhere my mom shows up in Michigan I hadn't talked to her in two years I don't even know how she knew where I was but she had gotten back on her feet and so she showed up so, because she had gotten custody back of me and so my mom moves me back to Atlanta and we moved to Decatur where it's greater and we spend yeah uh, so we spend a little bit of time there and eventually she moves us out to the suburbs because she wanted me to go to a better school. And so um, we move out to the suburbs and middle school, elementary, middle school, the rest of that was pretty fine. And then ninth grade year comes along. 
And my dad, like growing up, he wanted me to play soccer when I lived with him. And I was like, no, I'm not about that life. Like he was always trying to force it on me. I remember it like, y'all, so clear. I'd be laying in bed. He'd be like, Jedi, bring your boots downstairs. We are going to go outside and kick the ball. I'm like, no, dad, I don't want to play soccer. I want to be LeBron. Leave me alone. Right. Um, and so when I moved to, when I moved to Atlanta, I, I got to start playing basketball. And so ninth grade year, that's what I did. That was most of my ninth grade years. I just, I just hooped. I played ball with my friends. I went to the YMCA every day after school. I played there. I played on our team, right? Like I just, I love playing basketball. And so I played basketball all my ninth grade year. And that year was pretty good for me. Like I made some friends. I felt like I was in because I played sports. Like everything was going well. Sophomore year comes. And sophomore year comes and my mom calls me and she's crying one day after school. And she's crying because she's just been diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to do with that, y'all. Like it was really hard. And I didn't know how to help my mom. We were already struggling to make ends meet. We'd already been evicted from a few places and she was trying to figure out how to pay for like the doctor bills, but at the same time, like how to keep our house in order. And so we had some people from our church who helped with that as well. And and we were able to get through that season. And most of the reason we got through that season was because of my mom's faith. My mom believed in Jesus. Like she really believed in Jesus. I'm talking, we would go to church each and every Sunday. And for my African people in the room, you know that like church as an African kid is way different than like this. You're like, yo, what? What is this, bro? Like church is supposed to be like seven and a half hours. We're in here for like 20 minutes and we're out. Like what is going on, right? Like literally you would have breakfast, lunch, dinner, take a nap, wake up, hear a sermon, sing like 17 worship songs all in the same room. Like it's a whole day, right? And so... So I grew up going to church, like spending hours and hours and hours at church and and watching my mom get through the season that she was going through, being diagnosed with breast cancer and and making it to the other side of that because of her faith. um, I felt like I needed to make a decision to follow Jesus. Now I want to be honest with y'all though, like I was sitting in the back of our our church and like I told y'all, like services would go really, really long. And most of the times, like I was just writing notes to girls, like, hey girl, you cute, let me holla, right? And um, and she was like, ooh, you black, leave me alone. Listen, hey, I had a hard middle in high school. I married a former Falcons cheerleader. I did better than all of them. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, so, so church wasn't like, church wasn't that big of a deal to me. I just kind of played around and I didn't really pay a lot of attention, but because of what was going on with my mom, I paid a little bit more attention, but I was to be completely honest, like my pastor did this thing at the end of every sermon. He'd go, hey, if anyone wants to put your faith in Jesus, we'd love for you to come down the aisles, and depending on how many people would actually walk down front, um, he would just stand up there and go, I know there's one more. (laughs) You know, the music is playing, he's like, I know there's one more. (laughs) If you feel the spirit, I know there is one more. I'm like, all right, bro, I'll be the one more, right? So literally, that's what happened for me, right? Like, Like, I say that kind of jokingly, but honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just did it because I felt like that was the right thing to do. Because I'd grown up going to church. I didn't want to be there for much longer than I already was. So I just went up and said, all right, cool. I'll say yes to following Jesus. That was my sophomore year of high school. Junior year of high school comes along. And for y'all who remember high school, like, junior year is really hard. I get a phone call from my mom again my junior year. And junior year was hard for me for a different reason because she called me and she goes, hey, Gerald, I'm not going to be home tonight, but I'll be home tomorrow when, when you get back from school. So I'm like, all right, bet. Like, I'm going to have a good night tonight. I'm going to kick it. I'm going to play video games. I'm going to skip my first period class because I got a test and I'm not trying to take it. Like, this is awesome. Well, I go to school. I come back the next day. And when I get back, y'all, my mom's still not home. And so that one night that my mom 
was supposed to be gone turned into a week that she was gone. And that week turned into a month. And that month turned into a year. And y'all, that year turned into three years that my mom was incarcerated. And so here I was, like a junior in high school, 16, 17 years old, trying to figure out life on my own. I'm going, yeah, like, my mom was a Christian. So, so if this could happen to my mom, like, if this is what happens to people who follow Jesus, then I'm out on that whole thing. Because that's not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to follow Jesus, and life is supposed to get easier, and life is just supposed to be better. Bad things don't happen to Jesus' followers. And so, y'all, I remember in that moment deciding, like, I'm done with God. I'm done with Christianity. I'm going to take my life into my own hands. You see, y'all, what, what was done to me, all of the situations that I had faced as a kid, my mom getting diagnosed with breast cancer, my junior year being really difficult, and my mom ending up in jail, like all of the things that were done to me made me doubt God. It created doubt about God. It made me wonder like, yo, are you actually good? Do you actually care? Do you really see me? I thought you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. I don't know where you're at right now. And I don't know where where you are in the room tonight, but I would imagine for some of you, maybe that was your story, or honestly, maybe that is your story. And you showed up for the free wings, but if you were to be completely honest, like, there's been some things that have happened in your life, like maybe your parents got divorced, maybe you lost a family member too early, maybe you had built some friendships and then all of a sudden you had to move because of some circumstances that you didn't expect. Well, like, I don't know what it is for you, but I would imagine for some of us in the room, like there have been some things that were done to you, things that were outside of your control, but it made you doubt God. And it made you wonder, that was definitely my story. And so I took my life into my own hands, finished up my junior and senior year, and I met up with one of my friends. Her name was Amber. She was throwing parties in Atlanta, and she was a promoter. And so I started kicking it with her, and she was teaching me the ropes. And so I decided I was going to throw parties for a living. And so I threw my first party. It was in Roswell, just a little bit north of here. One person from Roswell. Everyone else is like, what's that? I don't know what that is. Did you say College Park? I've heard of that. I've never heard of Roswell. Um, but I threw my first party. It was in Roswell. I show up. I'm expecting. I'm like, yo, this night is about to be dope. Everyone's going to be here. The DJ shows up. And that was it. And so I'm in the club by myself like, all right, I'm going to be broke. I just spent all this money, right? And so I'm in the club by myself. Nobody shows up. So that next weekend, I actually go down to Morehouse because my cousins went to school down there. And so I go hang out with my cousins, and they were throwing a house party that night. See where the house party thing ties in? They were throwing a house party, and a whole bunch of people were there. Like, it was wild. There were people in their house. There were people out in the streets. There were so many people that people just started turning music on in their cars and partying outside because everyone couldn't fit in the house. It was wild. I remember looking at them and going, yeah, why don't you just charge people for this? Like, well, because less people would come. And I, I was like, yeah, I know. And then the police won't come as well. That's kind of, there's a lot of people in the street. He's like, all right, well, let's try it. So the next weekend, we threw another house party and we charged people. And we made a little bit of money and we started building this reputation around the AUC that we threw really good house parties. And so we decided that we were going to rent a house like out in Lithonia. And we got a bunch of shuttle buses, like the buses that y'all rode over here. And we ran shuttle buses from the AUC and drove them all the way up to this house in Lithonia. And we did that a couple of times. And we got kind of known around the college scene for throwing really great parties. And so out of that, we ended up um, getting in some clubs and throwing parties with some dudes from Atlanta. 
And so we became pretty popular in Atlanta as promoters. We threw Future's first party. We threw parties with Waka. We threw Two Chain's album release party. We were in Velvet Room, Mansion Alon, like all of, the, all of the clubs in Atlanta that you would go, yeah, 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 I've heard of that. We were doing all of those. And so I was, I was pretty big in Atlanta as a promoter. And honestly, if I could just keep it 100 with y'all, like y'all, I thought life was going good for me. But I thought things were going really well, right? Like I was making money. Um, during that time, like I was hanging out with a bunch of girls and going further with them than I ever planned on going because, I mean, if we're going to keep it a buck, yo, I lost my virginity. Like, no, I'm dead serious. And it wasn't just with one person. Like, let's keep it a hundred. I was wild. I was wild. I was drinking every night. I was smoking weed every day. And, and some of this is like funny because you don't expect like a pastor to be up here like going, yo, like. But y'all, I'm just telling you, like, I thought things were going so well. Did that for three years. Arguably some of the biggest promoters in the city until the third year of me throwing parties when all of the stuff that was funny wasn't funny anymore because I had three friends who were murdered and one commit suicide in the same year. And I found myself laying in my bedroom, crying myself to sleep at night, wondering, like, like yo, is this all my life is going to be? But like my legacy, what I'm going to be known for is I'm going to get people drunk and I'm going to throw some parties and people will remember that they had a good time that one night, but my legacy is that I'll get people drunk and then I'll die. That's all that my life is going to be. And so all of, this, all of these things that I thought were going well for me, I, I started to really question and I didn't know what to do or where to turn, but church wasn't in the question for me because y'all, what I had done had created distance from God. And I thought, there's no way that God would want to be around someone like me. There's no way that God could love someone like me. And so church wasn't even in the picture that summer of that year that I lost a bunch of my friends. I, I found myself um, at this camp that I used to go to growing up at YMCA. We called the Camp Mission Atlanta. And what we would do is we'd show up at the, at the Y and we'd have all these high school students spend the night at these different YMCAs in the city and we'd put them on buses and we'd go into under-resourced communities and we would run camps for kids who couldn't afford going to camp. And so we show up at these, at these neighborhoods and I'm teaching all of these kids how to serve. And there was this one kid named Hunter in my group and, and Hunter was like not having it. He didn't want to be there at all. But him and I like started connecting and, and at the end of the week we became friends and his mom at the end of the week came to me and she was like, hey, I'm really glad that Hunter had someone like you. Like, I wish that he had someone like you in his life more often. And I remember looking at his mom thinking, like, no, you don't. Like, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't want me anywhere near your son. If you knew what I was doing literally last weekend before I was at this camp, you would not want me anywhere around him. Y'all, those words stuck with me. They, like, pierced my heart. And so I just kept thinking about over and over and over and over again what Hunter's mom had, had said to me. And so I went to one of my friends named Samantha, and I was like, hey, Sam, like, Here's all this crap going on in my life. I don't know what to do. She goes, Gerald, I don't know what to do either. So would you just listen to this song? She played this song called How He Loves For Me by David Crowder. And y'all remember listening to this song and thinking, yo, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. He is jealous for me. It was the first line of the song. He is God's not jealous for me. God wouldn't even want, God couldn't even love someone like me. That song was stupid. For some reason, I just kept listening to it. I don't know why, I just kept listening to the song. And y'all, the craziest thing happened, like the more and more that I listened to the song, the more and more that I started to think, well, what if it's true? 
Like, what if God really could love someone like me? Like, what if God really is jealous for me? Like, what if he really does care? What if he actually does see me? So I started asking my friends, like, yo, where can I find more music like this? I'm like, oh, there's this church you should go to. It's called Buckhead. You should check it out. Y'all remember the first time I walked into this church? Broken. Thinking there was no way God could love me. And I sat in a room just like this in the back corner, like over there. And I remember thinking, man, one, like, there are a lot of white people in here. I've never seen this many white people ever. <laughs> I remember thinking, two, like, yo, this service is really, really short. I've never been in a church that gets out in an hour. What is this? Like, is this halftime intermission? Do we come back? <laughs> but y'all, what I really remember is thinking, I've never seen this many people who really love Jesus. And I've never heard talks that I actually understood and I knew what to do with them. I just knew, like, there was something different about it. Seven years ago, I was in a room like this. Seven years later, I'm standing on this stage telling you that there's a God who loves you, who's for you, who believes in you, who sees you, who has plans for you. Why? Because y'all, God wasn't done with me. Yeah, I made some mistakes. Yeah, I'd done some things wrong, for sure. But when God saw me, he didn't see that. He wasn't done with me. And yet some things had been done to me. Some situations had come my way. Some things that I didn't expect or anticipate or ask for or hope for. But God looked at me and goes, no, I know what's happened, but I'm not done with you. But all of that bad, I can take it. I can use it for good. Part of the story that I left out is my mom is diagnosed with schizophrenia. The reason she went to jail is, is because she has this um, perspective of the world that just isn't reality. And so sometimes it leads her to making decisions that, that aren't really what she should be doing, but she just can't process it or understand it. And I thought about that part of my story, and I started thinking, like, there's no way God could use that. Y'all, two years ago, I get a phone call on the way to a camp, a mom crying on the phone. My stepson's mom has schizophrenia, and he doesn't know what to do. He's trying to figure out how to love her. Somebody told me that your mom had schizophrenia. What do you do? remember thinking, wait, wait, God can use that. God can use that. A couple weeks ago, I get a text message from one of my boys who's 21 Savage's manager now. He hits me up. He's like, hey, bro, I haven't been to church since ninth grade. I just started following you on Instagram. I didn't know you were working at a church now. Can I come to church with you? I'm going, yo, like all my years of throwing parties and promoting God can use that. Y'all, like, anything that's happened in your life, anything that's been done to you, or anything that you've done, you've got to understand, it does not disqualify you from the love of God, because God is not done with you. Like, no matter what you've done, or what's been done to you, God is not done with you. And students, you've got to understand this. Like, if you don't hear anything else, hear this from me. I am sick and tired of watching college students give up on a relationship with their heavenly father because some circumstances happened in their life that made them think he wasn't there or because they've done some things that makes them think he doesn't love them. Your heavenly father loves you. He is for you. 
He believes in you. He has hopes for you. He has a dream for you. And he can take any circumstance that happened in your life and use it for good. Seven years ago, you would have told me I'd be up here. No way. Seven years ago, you would have told me that I'd be a preacher, not a promoter. No way. But God wasn't done with me. He's not done with you. We throw parties not to have a good time. We throw parties in this room because we believe in a God who can change anything. And we think that's worth celebrating. So I just want you to know that this is your home. This is your home away from home. And we're throwing parties every time you walk in the room because we believe in what God could do through you. Amen.